0: Welcome to the Speak the Language podcast presented by OnX Hunt. This week, we'll be taking an in-depth look at a species that has been residing in the state of Mississippi since before anyone that's listening to this episode has even been alive. It's a species that seems to be either loved or hated and is very, very commonly misunderstood. The goal of this entire episode is to garner a better understanding and acceptance for this animal, a better understanding of why the great state of Mississippi and the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks has been working to restore it for over 20 years and a better understanding of what we may see in the future. It's time that we all learned a little bit more about bears. Anthony Ballard, you are the Black Bear Program Coordinator in Mississippi. Yes, sir. So what's interesting about that to me, right from where my mind first goes and some of the conversations that I often have with people just through talking about hunting or podcast topics or or anything, uh, there are some folks that aren't even aware that we have a Black Bear Program in the state of Mississippi.
1: Yeah, Um, and that's been... Since I came into this program, that was something that I really came to understand pretty quickly Mm -hmm. was that people, a, a fairly significant portion of the population, you know, mostly through social media, I've seen this like comments and stuff. We have bears in the state and it's something that I feel like, you know, just recently coming into this role that we can do a lot better job of is telling that story. Because we've been doing bear research in Mississippi for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. You know, moved over and uh, from the museum to wildlife and fisheries in 2003.
0: So, and and on that same point, just to kind of like t- you know get to this at the very front end of the podcast, and you could probably speak to it at a, at a you know more educated level than I could. Uh, black bears, albeit not this may not be something so widely known now. Black bears they haven't just been here a long time. Like black bears have always been here, pretty right. much.
1: Yeah, and a, a lot of them, uh, people kind of look at them as a sort of as an introduced species. Yeah, which really what happened was a near extirpation, and then they just slowly rebuilt back that that native original range over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and like you know, even in the late 1800s and early 1900s, they were an important game species. You know, mm-hmm. they were they were widely hunted. Just like we take for granted, you know, deer and turkey to hunt nowadays.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you really like. I would encourage folks to go and look. I mean, because I can, I can geek out on this stuff. Um, honestly, I mean, I've been interested in black bears since my really since my days at Mississippi State. Uh, which you went to Mississippi State as well, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, but I, I learned more about them there, and then kind of started, like you were saying. I mean, you grow up in this state, and you grow up in your deer hunting, your turkey hunting, your duck hunting, squirrel hunting, whatever, you're just not, you're, you're not around black bears because you're not seeing them. And, you know, there's really not that understanding there. And so I started to get, I guess, a better understanding of what a native species meant and had a better understanding of their species that we had a whole lot of, and then almost lost them. Not, not too much different than what happened with deers and turkeys at one point. Yeah. Um, so let's do this so there you know where you're working at in the black bear program the need for the black bear program is that obviously like i said we had a lot and then like you said nearly extirpated like what happened what what was the cause is i know it's a loaded question but what happened primarily big factors for us to lose a lot of our black bears
1: so there were several factors that kind of you know sort of a perfect storm all at once but essentially in the late 1800s the reason the north american wildlife model came about for those that are familiar with that history was the fact that we were we had so much unregulated hunting uh market hunting so basically you know it's illegal to you know to kill a bird and to sell it today for instance mm-hmm. uh any sort of game bird or whatnot uh those all of those laws that we appreciate now and understand the value of were not in place then and so you had a lot of timber Uh, basically you had a consumption that the resource could not keep up with Mm. and so you know the timeline has been different depending on which species it is but essentially what's happened is once that North American wildlife model came into play uh, once there were state and federal wildlife agencies to set those rules enforce the rules and to kind of build you know a management that we've seen the benefits of today all of those species really started to turn around and making a comeback Mm. and and really the only difference is the timeline and so you know, deer and turkey um, rebounded pretty quick. Uh, there were some restocking efforts, obviously that helped a lot. Also some restocking efforts in, in Louisiana with, with the black bear as well. Okay. And, um, and so, but the, the moral to the story of all that is uh, the American alligator is another good example that's more recent, mm-hmm. but you know, in all of these species, you know, it's kind of an opportunity to brag on, you know, our, our predecessors in the wildlife world You know, they took that thing and turned it around completely into a rich resource that we can enjoy today and to the point where a lot of people don't even know where that story once was. It was, it was mighty grim, you know, around the turn of the century.
0: Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, think about it. Like now, I mean, the biggest thing that you hear, if anything, tied to whitetails on a negative is like CWD. But other than that, like, no one's going, where are the deer? I mean, we have so, I mean, our deer population is pretty high. I mean, our turkey population. You hear some, you know, there's several talks about turkey numbers not being what they. But to your point, like go back and look what happened to a point where like turkeys were almost gone, right? And, and so
1: yeah, and 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 that's the kind of the thing is like you know one of the things that I want to shift or I guess help shape and, and guide is you know back in the the time of our grandfather, for instance, um, you know deer when you saw a deer track or you saw evidence of a deer or turkey. Mm-hmm. That was something to get excited about, like a deer track, and right. and it was it was sort of a novelty thing. It's like, oh my gosh, we have a deer on our place, or we have you know whatever. Uh, and bears, I want to kind of bring that in from this kind of you know novelty, you know exciting thing. Not that it's not exciting, but you know something that's rare and nobody really talks about into a more mainstream, mm. um, you know, added to the same group that we think about as far as you know whitetail deer and wild turkey and sure. and all the other game animals and
0: and understood and appreciated game species exactly yeah it's, so it's like to that point, uh, and, and I've talked to you about this before. One of the one podcast that I'm a huge fan of is Bear Grease that Clay yeah. Newcomb does. Mm-hmm. And he did a whole series on Hulk Collier um, and Teddy Roosevelt, the bear hunt that happened right yeah. here in the Delta.
1: Very well done. I'll listen to that one.
0: Yeah, it's it's. I would encourage anybody that's listening to this to go and listen to that series. But you hear him talking about well, not just that series, but also he did a series on the Mississippi River. But um, one thing that I've just kind of come to figure out or wrap my head around I guess is how different things were and so you hear him talking about these hunting stories with Hulk Collier and black bear hunting and he did a lot of it with dogs and then you hear him talking about the Mississippi River and the Delta and all that And they talk about it as this as if it's like I think one of the times they refer to it as like this impenetrable wilderness and then they just talk about seeing numbers upon numbers and numbers of bears and it's almost like like if I were to read a story in a you know the Clear and Ledger Outdoor section or a Mississippi Woods and Water magazine, they're writing a story about turkey hunting in Mississippi. I can read it and it's going to be current, so I can identify with it. But I hear these old stories of like Hulk Call oh, your bear hunting, and I'm like, it, it almost sounds foreign. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that you hear them talking about the way the woods were and the the layout of the land, and you're like, that happened here. Like yeah. here in this Mississippi, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah, things have changed so much geogra not geographically, but habitat wise and the right. landscape. And it's and of course that's I mean has a huge factor in, in what happened, but it's 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 wild to think about and seeing where we are now.
1: Yeah, and and like like you said, it's valuable to know that history because you know you look at a, a satellite picture of what's now the the delta. So you look at all that ag land. At one point, that was all, it was all flooded by the Mississippi River, you Mm -hmm. know, depending on the water levels, when they came up and down, they would come up and down extremely slowly, and the reason why that ground is so fertile is because all of those nutrients over thousands of years were distributed there, and, you know, it was a completely different place. You're talking about swamps and, you know, very, very old growth timber, you know, virgin timber, and, you know, you see the old photographs of people standing beside, you know these these big logs that is huge tree right yeah. yeah the cross sections are you know twice or three times what a grown man would stand and um you know all that stuff is it, you're right it does seem foreign because it it just seems unfathomable that mm-hmm. things were that much different but uh they you know they really were
0: yeah i find myself uh jordan blissett especially when him and i were working you know doing uh the primo's truth about hunting together and we'd be on these long trips and we'd be on I, the, we'd have like a 18 hour drive to New Mexico or something. And for some reason, like a common topic of conversation that we'd end up on is it's going to sound goofy, but <laughs> we would always end up on like, if you could time travel to one place, you know, where would you go? Mm. And so often, and I guess it's cause you know, when we were doing, especially along the river, you know, we just spent a lot of time in the Delta and both of us agreed on several occasions. Like if we could just see what it looked like there, not to, I mean, I understand farming. I understand all that, you know, but just to see what it was like, yeah, back when it was what you were describing before the levee systems, when when before it was ag land, just 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 to see it and yeah. see, you know, the the diversity of not, I mean, the biodiversity, the forest composition, just to see how different it would be. But that would be just just always something
1: that I've thought about. Yeah, definitely. That's um, it was it was a whole different world.
0: Yeah. So. How did you, yourself, end up in the position of Black Bear Program Coordinator?
1: So, I started with the agency in 2015 and was hired on, um, went through Mississippi State, as, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, went through University of Louisiana at Monroe, got my master's there, uh, graduated and came back home to Mississippi. Started with the agency as the nuisance species biologist. Uh, so that included several different species, most notably wild hogs. that's because where
0: you were on the show before talking about it
1: that's right yeah and um, you know that was where all of the the time and effort was needed. Uh, that was the you know the biggest need for the agency at the time and so you know that's what I, I spent most of my time doing but one of the beauty of these one of the beauties of this agency is you get to experience a lot of different things and, and that's what I tell people not to kind of go off on a tangent but you know, young people that are coming up that are, you know, wanting to do something in the wildlife uh, world to get as much experience as you possibly mm-hmm. can, um, because you know I kind of got to dip my toes off into the bear program, go on several workups and mm-hmm. you know trapping events and collar stuff, and uh, took several chemical immobilization classes. That uh, you know that whole time I was building my resume for the bear program, but didn't really know it. Oh, and okay. so uh, the experience I got there, um, long story short, came over to the Bear Program in November when our uh, the former program leader, uh, Richard Rummel retired and then kind of took over those responsibilities in the interim. And then uh, after den season everything was over, well, excuse me, that was slightly before, but uh, February of, of this year took over the Bear Program.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And obviously you've been enjoying it.
1: I've been loving it. Yeah, it's yeah. been awesome.
0: So I wanted to, to like make sure we're not – leaving any stone unturned or I don't want us to say a term and somebody mess up on what it says, uh, just from talking to you about this leading up to this podcast and stuff. One thing I've heard you say multiple times is you you talk about a workup, like a bear workup on a very granular granular level. When you say
1: that, what does that mean? So every program is going to have, it's like, it's main staple of what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of that is research. And so we've worked in partnership with MSU on, you know, multiple different research projects over yeah. you know 50 plus years uh, but essentially what we do in you know in a workup and and kind of research as a whole in the bear program is has a lot to do with uh, trapping putting collars on so in the olden days i guess in the olden days in the, a decade or so before uh, they were all vhf collars and so okay. they would emit a vhf frequency you had to actually go out and manually triangulate those now we have gps collars where they just they send them to to my account via satellite. It makes it a lot easier. Um, but essentially, so we're tracking movements, and then we're also taking samples and measurements. Uh, we've got you know historical data about reproduction. We've got data on um, you know different subpopulations within the state, and then you know of course with movement, you can get things like home range, um, you know habitat preference, den site selection. There's a lot of little you know pieces parts that you can mm-hmm. kind of tease out. But essentially learning as much about the critter here in the state as we can. And then, you know, applying that to a bigger picture whenever it comes time for things like population estimates and, and other, you know, bigger things that you have to have all that stuff to put together. Gotcha. So, yeah.
0: So, um, the, you know, the, like you said, the 20 years of research or however long it was before you took over, um, not asking you to go in depth to that. Cause I mean, I'm sure that would take a while, but basically, uh, what was done you know like where if like where did we start when we first started this bear research and then kind of where was the program when you picked it up and was like when you when you were past that baton it was like all right this is where we're at this is where we're trying
1: to go yeah um so part of it was standing there with the baton looking around trying to figure out what to do with it um (laughs) but yeah i get that yeah but so one thing to keep in mind first is most of the bears we have, if not all, came originally from out of state. Okay. So you have big source populations like Tinsall National Wildlife Refuge, very dense bear population. Okay, um, White River um, region there in Arkansas, very big. So, you know, the bears in Bolivar County, for instance, most of them came from Arkansas in the North Delta. Most of the South Delta bears came from somewhere across, from across the river. So, either directly from or that lineage can be traced back to that subpopulation.
0: Did we have any native bears that we knew about?
1: Yeah, there were. Um, and I would have to, and don't quote me on this, but I think it was somewhere uh, a couple dozen to maybe up to, yeah, you know, maybe it was around a dozen.
0: So, I mean, extremely small. Extremely low,
1: yeah. So How
0: would they even know they were there for, the, for <laughs> it to be that few?
1: Well, I mean... Sightings, for one, yeah. Um, that would probably be what they would what what they would most rely on, and then you know again, the, the good thing about the collars is, you know, you could you're looking at a battery life of you know two three years, and so if you get one collared, and then you can always go back and find it, particularly during deer season, mm-hmm. uh, den season, you can you know have a collar on that bear for you know decades. Yeah. Um, you know, bears life can, lifespan is generally somewhere between twenty and thirty years, mm-hmm. and so you can get a lot of data off of just one collared bear, and so you know most of the research that that occurred was from those early um, immigration from out of state into our state. That you know we had we were able to to you know find bears, trap on those properties, and really keep up with those populations. And then as they had cubs, we could sort of you know monitor that as it moved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we're kind of transitioning into now is not that we didn't work in other places of the state, but like the South Delta, Warren, Sequina County, Steel Bayou area, uh, those that was kind of the breadbasket basket of, sure. of the research then. Um, but then you know, now what we're doing is trying to spread into other parts of the state uh, so we can get genetic samples. So like most of the bears we have in the Southeast, they came from that population in the Mobile Basin. Okay. Uh, they kind of came over from there. And so, you know, figuring out where the bears had come from, how many we might have there, and then trying to take, you know, right now there's a multi-state project where there's genetic samples from Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Arkansas, where we're going to take all that stuff and put it together and, and together have a lot better idea of, you know, what the big picture is.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. How, I mean, so, I guess, you know, how did they go – and I, I'm kind of going back a little bit. Um, so, I mean, they knew they had maybe a dozen bears. And so how did they land on the process of we're going to start doing some, you know, some trans translocation or whatever. That may be the wrong term. Is that the right term? Telemetry? No, like trapping and moving bears.
1: Oh, um, so I don't know that there were any bears moved into Mississippi. So the okay. only – the only stocking effort, and that's actually a good thing to touch on, because yeah. we we get accused of that all the time, uh, you know, bringing bears in and panthers and whatever else. Sure, um, yeah. But we don't get the credit for the restocking for deer and turkey. Uh, a lot of people don't know that happened either. <laughs> yeah, they don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, but anyway, so the only restocking effort that that I'm aware of in our records were, I think in like 1935, 34, mm. something like that. I think there were a couple breeding pairs that were brought in. It was a complete failure. I don't know if the bears didn't make it or didn't, you know, reproduce, whatever the case was. Gotcha. It wasn't noticed as a, as a success. And so, um, you know, like I said, that that basically left the, the bears from mostly across the river, you mm-hmm. know, to slowly come into Mississippi and then start building the breeding population from there.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So talking about, well, before I get into that, i've heard you say things like denning season and 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 stuff like that so going back to trying to get and and i'm talking about like i'm going to learn something in this in this conversation too i'm sure but i'm most positive there's going to be people that listen to this that are talking about any type of black bear ecology or black bear life cycle is going to be brand new Mm -hmm. so again on a very elementary level like what is the what does a year look like for a bear? What, is, what it, when is denning season? You know, it, any of that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, so um, well, so we'll start in the springtime. A okay. you know, bear, so typically somewhere in the neighborhood of, um, so we do our den checks um, the first couple of weeks in March. And so it could be, depending on the sex and age of the bear, we're talking, you know, sometime late March, early April, maybe even as late as May, those bears emerging from the den. So let's say it was a sow, she's had cubs. All right, so she has cubs in the den. They come out, they, they go around in the springtime, they start to replenish those resources that they used. Uh, you know, the cubs start to eat. Their, um, then breeding season comes around in July and August. So that sow will not breed if she has cubs.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, so th- another thing, bears actually breed every other year. So if, okay. it's, if it's a sow without cubs, then she'll breed during the summer. And then uh during the fall they enter a phase called hyperphagia where basically they're stuffing their face with as many calories as they can get. Relatable. To, to try to <laughs> Right, yeah. Uh <laughs> I could be accused of that myself, but um so they're they're trying to, you know, get as much fat resources as they can to sustain through the winter. Yeah. And so, you know, during the spring and summer it's a lot of just kind of opportunistic, uh, I guess like a pulse resource kind of thing where you've got different berries and natural vegetation that's coming available. Depending on the habitat and that kind of thing, and then um, coming back into the fall, once they build that fat layer up, they'll go into the dens. Um, so the the cubs will stay with the adult sow for about eighteen months. So okay. you know they'll they'll be born in the den, they'll den the next year, and then when they come out that that following spring, sometime between there and breeding season, they'll disperse and go do their own thing. That sow will breed again. The process starts over.
0: So it happens. I mean. There's a similarity, but there's definitely—I mean, so like a, like a whitetail. I mean, she. But what? How about? All right, so a so a sow. How old is she going to be before she can start having cubs?
1: Yeah. So sexual maturity is going to be somewhere between three and five years. Really?
0: Yeah. So uh, so you're waiting three to five years for her to be old enough to have cubs, and then when she has cubs, it's going to be every other year.
1: Every other year, and you can expect, on average, two to three in okay. a litter. Um, we've seen, so we had one this past year, um, that, that a hunter just happened to stumble across. Mm-hmm. It was a, uh, like it was a, a cartoon type den. It was a big hollowed out Oak tree and a, a big kind of a shape, you know, triangular shaped hole at the bottom. And she had the babies in there. Uh, there were four in that litter Four. there have been five documented just a handful of times. And you know, the 20 years that we've been keeping up with it, it's. It's almost unheard of, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, generally, you know, two to three cubs every other year.
0: Yeah. And so every other year, and then not only like a, a doe, she has a fawn or two fawns. Normally, I mean, like they get six months old, and she's going to kick them loose. And these cubs are staying with them 18 months.
1: Right. And not only that, but a, a, a fawn, I mean, a, a deer can do that at – you know rarely as a fawn but definitely as a year and a half old yeah. so you're talking about they're they're starting that reproductive path a lot sooner and then you know they're they're repeating that every year as well
0: yeah and sometimes yeah that's wild sometimes they even make it with their mama 6 months they just like turn them loose into the world and watch them go yeah it's just so so that answers one question for me like cuz the, the a black bear population simply by numbers like or you know like they, they can't rebound as quick as a deer can or yeah. a turkey can because of the the breeding difference in
1: timing yeah and the dispersal is a little bit different too um generally the the so when you see a real out of place bear so for instance there was like a viral video of a bear that just like came up in the surf in Destin. it was, it was yeah, all yeah, over, yeah all over social media I saw that, that yeah when you see those kind of things uh there was one in um indianola this year that made big news um There was another one in, where was that? Vicksburg, like ran Mm -hmm. through downtown Vicksburg. Yeah. A lot of times when you see a bear that's just completely out of place, it's like, how in the world did a bear get here? Yeah. Most of the time that's a young male. Okay. So he's going to be maybe the first or second summer out on his own. Uh, He's trying to find his way in the world, trying not to get his behind whipped by bigger bears. And it's, you know, kind of the same similarity where, you know, a, a, a spike is going to walk out at three o'clock in the afternoon in the middle of a food plot in the broad daylight. Yeah. They just don't really know better yet. You know, they're, they're just now on their own. They don't have that adult female to say, Hey, probably not a good idea. Um, and you know, <laughs> a lot gets shot at re- as a result. Sure. Um, but you know, it's kind of the same mentality where they're, they're dispersing for the first time, trying to find their way in the world. And a lot of times they can disperse a long way before they finally kind of settle out and, and start doing their thing.
0: Yeah. Wonder what the black bear program coordinator in Florida was thinking when he saw that video of that one in Destin.
1: Um, I'm trying to remember. No, that was a little bit after we had a, a black bear workshop up in Wisconsin. Yeah, and um, actually met those guys. Those super <laughs> cool dudes. But they have to deal. So you've got you've got Destin there, and then you've got uh, Orlando and some of those big cities like that. They deal with a lot of nonsense from <laughs> people and bears crossing. Just like paths.
0: conflicts and stuff
1: yeah i mean conflict and you know of course the there's there's always politics around it and public sure. relation things and and i mean you know when you get into those really bigger cities like that the the mentality around wildlife and stuff is can be wildly different from mm. from other areas and so yeah. they hats off to those guys they do they they deal with a lot there in florida
0: so that that brings me to another topic that i want to ask you about anyway um i feel like with bears often what you get is a I think I'd call it like a, almost like a varmint mentality towards them mm-hmm. uh, where it, sometimes it, I mean just had like passing conversation with folks and I've even gotten like a why in the world are we even trying to repopulate these things? You know, that, that kind of thing. Do right. you, How often do you have to deal with that or how do you address that?
1: Fairly often. Um, one thing's for sure. And, and one thing that I learned like very early on is there are very few people that have a neutral attitude toward bears. Everybody, <laughs> That's feels, true. everybody feels very strongly yeah. in some particular way. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, the varmint mentality, you know, it's, it's one of those things, I, you know, even in a, a public forum, like on social media and stuff, mm-hmm. people say, "Why do we need bears? Why are we bringing in bears?" Um, and you know, basically, two points that I always make: number one, we're not bringing in bears; number two, um, we don't we don't move bears at all. And I guess that would be three points. Uh, but number three, like we said before, they are a native game species. Mm-hmm. Um, or Excuse me, a native a native wildlife species. We hope to be. We hope the the numbers allow them to become a game species again. Mm -hmm. Uh, But with all that being said, um, you know, just because they're, they're starting to come back into public, you know, awareness, uh, kind of into the public conscience as, as something that's actually a practical thing. Like I have to deal with this now because it's on my property, you know, it's, it's not theoretical anymore when you get one on your game camera. Yeah. And so to try to make that transition to just those simple practical steps, To avoid conflict and just to kind of, you know, cut some of that stuff off before it becomes an issue is, I think, kind of the next step that we're trying to move toward as far as like a a public awareness and and education type thing. Yeah,
0: I think, I mean, I think you make a 100% I agree with like the there's no neutral thoughts on bears because I 100% agree with that. I do think that whether someone leans onto the side of varmint or whatever it is, I think both of those things, whatever, I think it comes from a, like, just a simple lack of understanding for the animal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like, because I I have friends, um, especially guys that work at the home base at Onyx in Montana, Mm -hmm. that black bears are nothing new. Right. They're... You know they're plentiful around there throughout much of the West, and it's it's a uh, they're just used to it, right? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things. Um, and I mean, even to go, you know, something closer to home, like in the Smoky Mountains, for example. Yep, yep. Tons yep. of bears in the Smoky Mountains. Uh, you can't find anybody in the Smokies that doesn't handle their garbage correctly. I mean, I'm sure there's some, but it, it's a lot more rare. Sure. Um, you have a lot more bear-proof trash cans. You have a lot more thought in that realm because, you know, like I said, if you have a neighborhood dog that knocks over the trash can every night, you're going to make adjustments to, to mm-hmm. maybe stop that. Mm-hmm. So maybe taking your trash out the day of versus the night before, um, just little small things like that, where maybe you haven't had to deal, you know, maybe you haven't had to make those adjustments before, but like you said, in other parts of the country, it's, it's just something that they do.
0: Right. Um, well, I mean, imagine if we didn't have white tail deer and then all of a sudden we did, and we didn't know how to handle them. People were like these things are eating in my garden. These things are running across the road. You know what I mean you just they're just <laughs> yeah. these things that we don't think about because we've everyone that's essentially alive in the state right now has used to have been, ha- or very used to having white-tailed deer around. Right. So they just kind of know how to act. Yeah, they're Whereas,
1: completely ubiquitous. That was actually the the, the uh, point, the, the example I was going to use oh. uh, was white-tailed deer because they're completely ubiquitous. Everybody understands that if you have a garden that's got nice, green, you know, nutritious growth, uh, you're going to have to protect it if you're in an area where you have deer, which mm. is almost everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. So, um, like I said, just to to kind of make that transition you know the the old saying you know your body won't go where your mind hasn't already been you know to kind of put that in people's brains and you know to try to be proactive about it as possible where it's not all of a sudden holy smokes there's a barrel on on my in my yard or on my place it's like i kind of saw this coming need to make some adjustments and and life goes on
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so until you touched on this a little bit but i want to ask about it further i seem like I, i feel like in the past, I'd say recent years, I can't put really a timestamp on it, but I feel like I've been seeing more pictures of bears, uh, more videos of bears, more people talking about bears. It seems to me like there's just, it's like that there's more bears, so to speak. Like, and I, I don't know if that's actually the case or if there's just been increased awareness about them. So people are getting more pictures. Um, are there, are there are you are you, I guess, seeing a population increase or you know, what do you think the story is there?
1: I don't think the population increase yes, there's a population increase. I don't think it's changed all that dramatically. I'll mm-hmm. give you another example. So when people say where do I report a bear sighting, we always direct them to the to the website. So mdwfp.com. Okay. Go to the um, wildlife and hunting, navigate to the black bear program, and you'll see two buttons there. So on the top it says report a bear observation. And on the on the bottom kind of below the, the bear picture there uh, there's a link to actually click on a map where you can view all the sightings that have been reported so um, all that you know we, we tell people to report so on that uh, kind of a tab off to the side it shows a, a yearly breakdown of how many reports have been filed in that year gotcha. so it was created in 2016 that was when it was first you know put together and, and went live so every year preceding this one, uh, I did an average an average somewhere between 50 and 60 observations. Okay. This past year, 2023, and we're not all the way through it. Just keep that in mind. There's been 199. Yikes. Um, does that mean that there's three times the bear out there? That's a 280-something percent increase. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Does that mean that there's that much of a jump in one year? Surely. Uh, obviously not. But I think that there's such a heightened awareness around bears. I mm. think a lot of it – you know, not to take credit for all of it, certainly, but you know that's part of what our program has done is is put a lot of that you know information and awareness out there, because you know that's where education starts is awareness. Uh, once people understand that we have bears, they're going to be something that we're all going to have to you know work around and be educated about. Yeah, uh, that's where that starts, and so that's what I've really been you know trying to push our agency toward is. Kind of establishing that baseline and say, okay, you've got bears. Now here's what we do with them. Here's how we handle them, and kind of go from there. Yeah. So definitely an increased um, awareness around that, and you know, like I said, I'm I'm hoping that these next few things that we have planned over the the, the next year and then even beyond that is gonna is gonna really even push that a lot further.
0: Right. What do you, do you have any sort of other type of social media? outlets other than just the reporter bear on the mdwfp site
1: yeah so on so we 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 got the the main website that's still how we tell people to actually report a sighting especially if it's somewhere where we don't normally see bears that often that we really want to capture that data gotcha um but one of the things we did at the end of um the spring of of let's see It'll be spring of 2023 this past spring gotcha um we put out a bear week on social media i saw that. that was that was on yeah. the main uh wildlife and fisheries website
0: yeah that was the one where there was like a video of you up a tree with like a harness on
1: yeah yeah um and that was that was on a den check so we can talk about that too but um so that whole week we reached right over the, like it has a post reach was basically how many people were exposed to that content yeah uh was like right around six hundred thousand. Um, pretty big lick. I feel like we made a lot of, you know, like establishing that baseline of like, Hey, we have bears, we have a bear program, we're doing research, you know, here's a few baseline type details, Mm -hmm. a few, few fun facts about bears, that kind of thing. And then, um, at the end, at the very end of that week, we, uh, I launched a, a Facebook group. And so it's not officially part of the wildlife and fisheries, you know, page at all. Um, but it's called Mississippi Black Bear Photos. And so from, I think it was April the 2nd, when that, when that group went live, to now it's got uh, a little over 7,000 members now.
0: Wow. Okay. And
1: so it's, uh, it, as the name implies, it basically runs itself. Um, it's a public group. Anybody can join. And the sole purpose is to put pictures of black bears from Mississippi on this site. Uh, the thought behind that was, you know, our website asks for a lot of information. Somebody that's not quite as computer savvy, or maybe just doesn't want to be bothered to put in that, that information, <laughs> everybody wants you to see their game camera pictures. And so it's easy to just take one off your phone, put it online, post it. Uh, we just, all we require is the picture in the county, and, and that goes up for people to see. And uh, that, that website, or excuse me, that group, has been really good for that. But then I've also had a lot more utility with it as well that I I wasn't really expecting.
0: Yeah. Utilities such as.
1: So at first it was just to to kind of share pictures and
0: raise awareness
1: and raise awareness. And then also sort of for me, some of that stuff, some of those pictures and and sightings that that our website wasn't catching, possibly I could catch some of those as well. Gotcha. Sort of a tangential, you know, uh, you know, supplementary type thing. Um, but then, you know, we went into this, uh, trapping in Southwest Mississippi going into this summer and, you know, in the South Delta, like I said, we've got lots of contacts there. We've got tons of people that have worked with this agency for years now. Um, that are, you know, all we have to do is pick up the phone and say, Hey, we'd like to trap a bear. Sure. They say, come on, I'll tell you where they are. And we put the traps out. And it's no problem.
0: Well, I mean, from an uneducated standpoint, right? Like I've always known that region. I'm like, to me, I'm like, that's the region that has the most bears. That's right. what, that's what I've understood it as. So it yeah. makes sense.
1: Well, and, and like I said, that's also where we've done the most research and where, you know, a lot of those people are, are most familiar about where bears frequent. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's a lot, it's very easy. To do research in that area uh mostly because of the contacts we have well then you know going into this southwest region uh wilkinson county Claiborne, and um you know even into let's say adams what was the other one franklin county those down in there we started to kind of grow that and put some collars out where we haven't had them out nearly as much and, and don't mm. know as much about that those those bears because it's a different type of habitat you know they there may be a completely different pattern that they have. And so, um, you know, to, to kind of expand that research, well, we don't have the contacts down there that we do in the Delta because we haven't done research there as long. Gotcha. And so where the social media came in was, you know, you've got a guy that maybe posts a picture and says, you know, last night, Wilkinson County, right by a corn feeder. And then, you know, you message the guy and he says, yeah, this bear has been showing up every day this week. And then all it takes is like, hey, would you mind if we come down and, and do some trapping? Sure. And then, you know, the next couple of days we've got a trap down there. We've got a bear collared. So it's, um, that was one thing, one of the utilities that I didn't expect to get out of the site. Sure. But now that it's like, and that was kind of in its infancy. You know, that was like early and mid-summer where you're talking, you know, two or three, well, yeah, two or 3,000 people. Now there's three times that many and, and you're really, you know, You really got a lot of, like a big base to work from that's growing by the day.
0: Yeah. So this, I mean, so this Mississippi black bear photos is relatively new. It's very new. So, I mean, you're really just scratching the surface of what you could get out of this. Exactly. That's
1: cool. Um, And so another thing that kind of, uh, it kind of happened organically, but, Mm. you know, people are obviously there to see black bears. They're at least interested in black bears passively. Hmm. And so one thing that I started to incorporate was the research that we were doing in this area because we were putting this stuff out. Hey, if you see black bears, let us know if you're in these counties, if you're in these areas, give us a call, email us, whatever. Well, what I wanted to do was like keep those people engaged and say, hey, we're having some success here. We've got this bear collared in Wilkinson County now. This is number M34, whatever. Um, and and as that started to build, it you know, kind of snowballed to where every capture I would have, I would put it out there. And then what happened is, you know, not long after that, those bears started showing back up again on the website. And so now there's not a single bear that we've caught and collared out of 21 bears that hasn't shown back up on Mississippi black bear photos again, on, cool. either on the same property or on a different one. That's cool. And so it's, like I said, it, it started as, as a pretty simple idea and it's, the utility of it and, and the benefits of it have kind of grown as the group has grown.
0: I think that's, I mean, that's, I mean, for, I mean, just on a, like a, the functionality for you, it's cool, but it's also cool because again, it's like a, I thought that before you and I had ever started talking about this, it's like, I've just without a doubt seen an increased awareness about black bears. So it means you're doing something right. And I mean, cause it's like, you can't talking about, you know what we were talking about earlier about the different attitudes toward bears, and a lot of it comes from just a lack of understanding of that species. Well, you can't—I you, mean, to to appreciate something, you have to understand it first. Right. And so you're you're steadily growing the amount of awareness and the amount of education about these animals. It's I mean, it's definitely going in the right track.
1: Yeah, and I think there's there's also value because you know you can find any information you want to on the internet, accurate or otherwise. <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah, in true. in a group like this, I feel like that. You know a lot of people know who I am a lot of which have worked directly with me Mm -hmm. and they know that they're gonna get good accurate information on this site and so it's it's you know outside of of a group like this we're just screaming in screaming in the internet but then in this group it's like you know if if something goes out with with me in a uniform or something goes out um, you know some kind of article I have to approve it and so you know when it goes on that site i pay very close attention to make sure that there's good information going out and it's not something that's going to be uh you know too subjective or anything like that and uh, i think that's a good like it's going to serve as a good resource to people like that too
0: so talk, talk me through i mean you, you've mentioned about like you find these bears or you know through whatever avenue it goes about and you have mentioned trapping a lot like walk me through well, one I'm asking this selfishly because I'm eager to go on one of these, which we were, we tried to do several times this summer and just yeah. never never
1: worked out. But like like you are a hard man to catch up with, I'm dude. Just gonna it was tell you just
0: that. like well, part of it's like I, I'm gonna blame some of it on my job and I'm gonna blame the other part of it on my wife. Like she kept me she kept me running around all over the place this summer. But um, talk me through the trapping. Like talk me through like how you get these bears to where you're in a position to collar them. Talk me like how how are you getting the collar. Like, like, Explain it, you know, from the, from the ground up.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and that's been kind of an evolution too, for me, Mm -hmm. because, you know, the original kind of formula was we put out usually day old donuts. They're, they're easy to get, uh, the bakeries if they don't, you know, cook, if they don't uh, sell them all that day, they throw them away. So you can get them by like the garbage bag loads, Mm. um, for free. And so a lot of the, the ones in the South Delta there, you know, we'll call them like, are these for the bears? Yep. And then we'll <laughs> go load them up and go use them. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's been all with culvert traps. So essentially a culvert trap, giant mouse trap, big steel uh, or, or aluminum tube. And there's a, a gate on a guillotine door on one side that drops and, and you know, traps the bear. Gotcha. So the bear has to actually go in, step on a panel, pull on a lever, some type of trigger that's going to activate that door to drop. So like I said, essentially a giant mousetrap and those have caught a lot of bears. All right. And I'm not taking anything away from them, but what I started to see pretty, you know, pretty quick um, into this thing was some trap aversion. So we would, we use, you know, cell cameras to monitor those. Sure. And it was pretty often that we were getting bears that would go up to these traps, sniff around and decide, nah, no thanks. And they'd go their own way. You think they're getting wise to it? well i don't know um i think it it probably has to do with you know some some trap shyness that comes with just age and experience gotcha um and also we also saw kind of a different preference in bait as well you know like i had bears uh early on in the summer you know you put out a a big thing of donuts that's got peanut butter and syrup dripping off of it and they'd walk right past it to go to a corn feeder Hmm. that, that was you know 10 15 yards away perfectly you know good bait there and they're they're passing it up to go to something else and so that kind of started me down the path of making some changes to try to tweak these things to make them the more the most effective as possible
0: gotcha
1: uh, one of the other big things is heat you know obviously in the summer we had that spell that was like hundred plus degrees Stupid for several hot. weeks yeah. it was ridiculous hot yeah and you know when you put a bear under anesthesia any mammal they lose a lot of ability to control their body temperature. Typically it goes hot. Okay. And so if you've got a bear, uh, a, a mammal that has a black fur coat on in the summertime, it is extremely hard to keep that bear cool if you're working it up in the daytime.
0: Dude, they had to be miserable this summer.
1: It was, Whoa. yeah. So most of our workups were actually at night. Okay. But one thing that I wanted to do to to kind of control all these different factors, mm-hmm. so I mentioned I came from the, the pig program. We've been running automated pig traps that you can drop remotely from your phone for for years now. Okay. Uh, And the first time we actually did that was in 2019 on the levee. Whenever the flood was up, we had several bears. I think we ended up catching like three bears in four days. But what we did was we set that camera up and we're able to, and that was the the duct tapes and zip ties version, (laughs) but we were able to retrofit that trap where we could drop it remotely. And so, Uh, that was kind of the first step was to integrate the camera system into it. (laughs) Excuse me. And then after that, it was like, okay, well this, this big steel box is, you know, you get pretty warm in the, in the daytime.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Uh,
1: and if you have a manual trap, you can't control when it goes off. And so what, what that kind of led me into was, uh, building what's called a Cambrian trap. And so instead of a tubular trap, you have one that's much larger, it's longer, it's wider. Uh, and it's all the walls are expanded metal. And so it's basically like a big box instead of a tube. Right. And so it's more open, so it's less confining. Obviously the airflow is 100% through the the expanded metal there. And then when you integrate the camera in with it, you've got a system there that you can completely control. Not only that, but it's also safer for the bears because it gives you a little bit more time You know, as long as they're in the shade, and you know, an area that you might not could could drop with a a regular trap. Now you can with this one, and so it brought it brought a whole new world of controllability. Once I put those two things together and started trapping, so
0: you're not having to. You know, like drop the gate and be like, "We got to get there right now," just because the the trap's a little bit more conducive for what you're trying to do gives you a little bit more flexibility.
1: Yeah, you could you can completely pick your shots. And so, so we're we're trying to select for you know in, in Southwest Mississippi, we're basically looking for anything that would go into a trap. But of those bears, all that bear's got to do is come in, is step four feet into that trap, and I can catch it. Uh, Another thing that it allows you to do is like, for instance, we had a sow and a cub that that was coming into the trap. I could wait until that cub completely came inside the trap so that I didn't drop it on him. Because on a regular trap, if that sow triggers the the door, it could possibly drop on that cub that's on Mm. his way into the trap with mama. And um, so, you know, that was another thing. There was a a sow and cub, Um, I passed them up because they came in during that time that was like 100 plus degrees in August. All right. Um, they came in at like 1130. They were standing inside the trap. There was no way I could trap those bears and work them up safely as hot as it was gonna be. Um, so I had to pass them, let them walk out with a, so fast forward to October, i set the trap about a mile away. I caught that same sow and cub. I was able to catch them on a, a morning where it was you know 60 something degrees, work them up safely and let them go. That would have never been possible. I would have never gotten that sow back into a trap if I had trapped her and then had to let her go with a manual trap, right? Because yeah. when you set those manual traps, number one, you better be checking them, and number two, you have no idea when, where they're going to go off. I
0: suppose yeah, you, you don't know what you're catching either. Whereas yeah. like, now you're seeing sound cub. Okay, yeah.
1: and I mean every now and then you'd have uh, like one of the big problems we had down in Wilkinson was raccoons, and we had you know the, the grad students down there were constantly walking down and letting raccoons out of the trap, um, and and that's something. With this trapping system, literally none of that is an issue. Um, and it also allows you to select for particular bear. So let's say we're looking for one particular bear that had a collar, for instance. We had to change the collar or whatever the case was. I can pass up every single bear that comes into that area or that comes into that trap in favor to trap that one. And then when, he, when that one comes in, I can get him uh or if we're trying to exclude one particular one. like it, it just gives you complete control over that situation that you just can't have any other way
0: so just incredibly more efficient
1: yeah you i mean, could, you I'm, could make... I'm sitting there watching a live stream video my delay time from the time i push the button on my phone to the time that gate drops is about a second and a half
0: really yeah
1: so i mean it's it's like up to the second um there was nowhere i trapped this year that i had any kind of service problems or lagging you know yeah. issues or whatever and um man it was just efficient like uh, so we trapped a total of eighteen bears over the summer. Thirteen of those were trapped with um, with automated traps. So
0: just the, the the amount of different management decisions you're able to make now, from timing, location, specific bears. Yeah, I mean that's that's yeah, that's a it, it huge step game. in efficiency. Yeah,
1: and not only that, but so you know, like I said, a lot of them were night workups. So we've got our lights in there that that illuminate just like it was daytime so we can dart that bear and a lot of times especially with the drug that we're using now they get sort of front heavy so they'll want to go down kind of nose first and if, if they go down in a weird way they can constrict their airway uh-huh. and so you want to you want to reduce the stimuli as much as possible to let that drug take effect so we could dart that bear walk away from the the you know out of sight and out of out of uh, earshot completely and I could sit there and monitor that bear on my phone and watch that drug take effect to make sure that he went down, he okay. or she went down safely. Okay. Um And so with with another, you know, with the manual traps, you'd have to constantly walk back up, shining with a flashlight, make sure everything was okay. Um, and so, like I said, it just it, it gives you complete control of that situation. Yeah.
0: So I mean, so you get a, you get a bear in a trap, and you get down there. Are you, what, what's the process there? Is you trying to get like, I mean, I know you have multiple people there for a workup, but like for the darting, is it just one person trying to ease down there to minimize them from freaking out or what's the process there?
1: So typically, all right, so we've, we've got a bear in a trap. Okay. Um, I like to have, I've had as, as few as me and somebody else. I like to have four to five people with me. Okay. Um, And so usually it's me and one other person that goes originally to actually like the first to actually dart the bear. Um, we'll dart the bear, make sure that the dart injected properly, make sure that the drug was delivered correctly, take notes of all, we have to write everything down. So, that's the main job of that other person is to write down dates and like the times and of injection sites and all that.
0: How how are you doing the injecting? Is it like a dart Um, gun or something?
1: uh, CO2. Okay. So the darts we're using now actually has a one way valve in the back. And so when you shoot that dart, it's actually pressurized as it goes down the barrel. And then when it hits, there's a a cap on the front that the needle actually punctures through and into the, into the bear's skin and, and into the muscle. And once that cap, Gets punched through, it's allowed to release that pressure, and then you know the, the drug gets injected after it goes through the skin and into the muscle.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. You shoot it like in the hind quarter or something.
1: We either, yeah, we try for either hind quarter or shoulder or neck. Okay. Um, but typically, I try to do hind quarter just because that's that's the biggest margin of error, and if the slight, you know, if the, if the shot's slightly off. It's a big muscle mass, and so you're, you're likely to get it where you need it. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: So once it, once you shoot it, like, then you back out, or, or what do you do then?
1: Yeah, so we'll back out. Um, generally, with those, depending on—we use two different drugs over the summer. Yeah. But typically, you're looking at, you know, five to ten minutes for that drug to take effect. Mm-hmm. Once the bear's down, we verify that he's down under anesthesia. Uh, one of the first things that we do is take a temperature because we want to make sure that that core body temperature hadn't already started to run away from us. Right. Um, Another kind of side note, we started using a drug uh, called BAM this year, uh, kind of about halfway through the summer that has an antagonist. And so two of those three um, drugs in that cocktail can be reversed. So you you knock the animal down, but then if you have something that starts to go sideways, if you have a, a body temp that you just can't reverse, you can't get her cooled down, him cooled down, whatever, um, you can give two injections and five to ten minutes they're standing up and running off. Like it's really? that quick.
0: So you yeah. can I mean so you can reverse it pretty quickly. Yeah.
1: So it gives okay. you a safety net if something does start to go wrong where you can you can correct that, you know, and, and like I said, it gives you another element of control. So, all right, so we got the bear down, we take a temperature, temperature's good. And so then we'll start with our workup. So the first thing that we do, if we don't get anything done, anything else done, we wanna have that collar on. So we'll put the collar on, we'll put the physical marker, so we put ear tags in, uh, and then, so for anybody in Mississippi that wants to know, the way we do our ear tagging system, we have a white and a green tag. White is right on females, and green is right on males. Okay. So they're, they're swapped. So if you see a, a, a bear with a white ear tag, that's a female in in the right ear. And then if it's white in the left ear, it's a male. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, so we put our ear tags in, we put a pit tag in, which is basically a microchip that, that's like veterinarians put them under the skin of dogs and cats and stuff. So essentially it's a scannable barcode that even if all the ear tags came out, even if the collar came off, we can always identify that bear. As long as that, that little, um, scannable pit tag stays, in, in the skin, under the skin. Um, so once we do all that, we'll take weight, we'll, um, this new drug that we have, we'll actually, we'll start them on supplemental oxygen as well. So that oxygen is running the whole time that we have the bear under, uh, we're constantly monitoring, you know, the body temperature, uh, respiration, heart rate, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, Assuming that we don't, everything goes smooth. We make it through the workup, which is, when I mean, the drugs are really safe. Usually, that's that's the case. We've mm-hmm. a couple I had to reverse, but it's not very common. And then, you know, we have all that stuff that's done. We have all of our data. We take body measurements. So we'll take genetic samples, which is usually a, a sample of hair. We'll take blood a lot of times for tests for tests for different diseases. And then um, we'll also sometimes, depending on if we if we're able to or not. Um, and if we have enough time, we'll actually take a tooth sample too. What's and that? So, How do
0: you take a tooth sample? Uh,
1: so it's the maxillary premolar, and okay. it's a, a pretty small tooth. It's it's technically surgery, but it's, you know, of all the teeth, it's it's the most minimally, minimally invasive.
0: Oh, so you're actually, like, taking it? We tooth. extract the tooth. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, okay. And
1: so what we do is those go off to a lab. They take a cross-section of that, and they can do a cementum manuli to actually age the bear. So, oh, okay. So since bears have a distinct, like, quote unquote, growing and dormant season, it's like, you know, summer and fall and, or, you know, spring, summer and fall. And then the winter where, you know, they, they kind of go into that metabolic, you know, time, you know, uh, power save mode, so yeah. to speak. Um, there's a very clear, um, rings sort of like on a tree that, that appear on, on that, uh, on a cross section of that tooth. Gotcha. So, that's an all for aging. So once we get all that stuff done together, uh, we'll give the reversal drug. And like I said, it's, it's not like, you know, they, they take hours and hours to wake up like with the, the old drugs that we used. When you give that, that injection, you know, we'll give two intramuscular injections and like they, they stand up and they run off. Like it's hmm. that fast. Yeah. So it's pretty cool to see them come out of it.
0: So like on, like a, like a, standard workup like nothing like everything goes to plan from the moment you dart the bear and walk off to the moment the bear runs off how how long of time period
1: um so we'll start like we we, you know record time stamps on on each little milestone that we do yeah and from the time the dart hits the bear to the time that he actually runs off typically is going to be right around an hour the actual workup takes uh it was actually really consistent this year I look back on some of my data sheets, we were hitting between 40 and 45 minutes on a workup, almost every single one. And um, so, you know, and and that kind of goes toward like, number one, the quality of help that I had, but number two, you know, you kind of get in a groove and and you're just going from one to the next. And, you know, there were some guys that that went with me on every workup and I didn't even have to say anything. They They were getting me the next tool that I needed, writing down the next piece of data and whatever. And that really makes everything flow really smoothly. Like
0: so that. it's like, I mean, at that point, you're like a NASCAR pit crew. I mean, you're just kind of going and everyone knows what they're supposed to do and then up and the bears back out.
1: Yeah, and that was one thing I tried to do uh, that I'm so glad I started doing on the front end when I started doing these workups because you know, being on a workup and being the guy that everybody's looking at on that workup, like <laughs> being the leader of it, are two completely different things.
0: I can imagine.
1: But one thing that I did that I started doing – you know, at the very beginning was, you know, before we go in to do anything with the bear, we set everybody down and everybody gets their job. So you're the guy that's taking all the data. You're the, gonna be the ones that grab the, the weigh poles to assemble them to get a weight. Y'all are gonna be taking temperature, respiration, pulse. And when, when, when we get up to that bear, everybody knows what they do and they immediately start doing it. If you don't have a job, then you know you don't have a job. If you do, you know what it is. And that helped everything you know, even if it was somebody that didn't necessarily go on a lot of them, everybody knew what they were supposed to do when yeah. they got there. And yeah, nobody's standing around out. going, "What am I? What am I supposed to do?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like we got there and everybody got to work.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that's cool, man. So, I mean, you're in. I mean, you're talking about. I mean, that was during the summer. Um, are, are trapping efforts? Are you are you trying to currently trap now, or is that kind of at a you know a hiatus until you move into denning season and you? pick up the trapping again next summer how do you determine that
1: so our our goal that we set out and was a pretty lofty goal uh was to get a total of 20 collars out so when when this trapping season started i think we had either six or seven that were out Uh, most of those were either in the north or south delta Mm -hmm. so we started trapping in southwest and like i said over the the course of the summer we were able to get all of those collars out and so now we have uh, we started out with i think six collars in three counties and we have now 21 collars in i think eight counties and so number one it, it vastly expands the, the data we're going to be able to get yeah. um, and you know it's i think the most we've ever had out has been somewhere between 20 and 30. Uh, and i've so we've got all those collars out so as far as the trapping and collaring that stuff's done uh, and then I've just recently ordered some more collars they're being manufactured right now so we'll have 10 more by the time we start uh, next summer cool yep
0: yeah oh well, that's cool um so moving into like uh well let me get somewhere first I want to talk to you about the denning season stuff but hearing you talk about I've heard you mention a couple of things like habitat and a den tree and like cartoon den trees so like Break down for me, let's do this one first. If I was to be like, describe to me what, you know, where's a bear going to hang out? What's what's good habitat for a black bear? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, so to back up a little bit, people ask, do bears truly hibernate? When you think about hibernation, <laughs> typically you're talking about smaller things like uh, like a lot of smaller mammals, rodents in particular, that go into like an involuntary extremely deep sleep so you're talking about heart rate of just a couple per minute torpor super super low well that would be considered like true hibernation okay and then torpor is sort of a lighter sleep it's still a prolonged period of inactivity it can involve wakes and sleeps kind of you know what they call torpor bouts so you have you know times that you're actually not asleep but you're still in the den and it's more of a, you know, I say denning instead of hibernation, even though hibernation is a lot more kind of ubiquitous. Right. Um, but all that being said, it's not really so much because of the weather. Uh, it's triggered by photoperiod. And then the reason for it um, it was it's like overcome a lack of resources. So like you build up a whole fat layer that can sustain you this whole time. Uh, metabolic rate, heart rate, breathing, all that is suppressed. So you're you're using less fuel for the fire, so to speak, sure. And and you're you're going through all this uh, period of denning, and so for females, when they go into the den, that's when they actually have their cubs as well. And so, right. like I said before, denning, mm-hmm. uh, excuse me, uh, breeding season is like July and August, mm-hmm. and so they'll actually breed then. Then they go through a period of what's called delayed implantation, where they actually will not implant and start to actually grow that offspring. That offspring doesn't; those, those embryos don't begin to develop until they go into the den. And what that allows them to do is build up that fat layer over the entire, you know, fall and early winter to sustain them, to sustain them, and then to also feed the cubs and, and nurse them and all take care of them in the den. So it's a really cool adaptation that is, is not very commonly seen, you know, in in, in mammals the way they do that. Um, so they go into a den that could be in a tree that could be, uh, in a blowdown, could be in a log. There's some excavation dens where they'll actually like dig out a you know, a creek bank or something. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty rare. Um, could be a briar thicket. Those are always my favorite. And, um, <laughs> and then, you know, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll go in and do their thing and den and then come out in the springtime.
0: Gotcha. So, I mean, so July, August, they're breeding a salvage gets bred. She's not actually because she's not actively growing a cub inside her until she decides to in this denning period. Did I understand that correctly?
1: Yeah, that's um, pretty wild. Mm-hmm. So, so typically a mammal will have that embryo fertilized, or have that have that egg fertilized, and then the embryo implants into the uterus and mm-hmm. then immediately starts developing. Starts growing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's I mean technically you can call that whole thing gestation, but like I said the the main part of the actual development occurs in the den and then when those cubs are born they're only like i think eight or ten ounces
0: no way
1: very small yeah so whenever we come to do the den checks in early march you know those those um cubs are only like five or six weeks old wow. and like you know usually two or three pounds so yeah so they start out really small you know they'll they'll put on weight pretty quick but um I know there's, I've got a, I got a new little girl around the house. I know my wife wishes she could have had our child at eight ounces and, and everything been okay. Because, I had
0: no idea they were that tiny yeah. when they were born. Mm-hmm. What do they, I mean, so, I mean, this is going to seem like a silly question. I mean, like when they get to, to the time when you're doing den checks, I mean, or, and they're two to three pounds, is the mom, uh, like, what are they eating? Are they still, like, nursing? They're nursing. Okay, yeah. so they're still nursing at that point. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, and they'll uh, they'll nurse all the way through, you know, while they're in their den, and then um, I can't remember right offhand the exact time period that they're weaned, but it's you know shortly after they come out of the den, and then they'll start kind of foraging along with her, you know, and 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 putting on weight as is, is all that goes. Gotcha.
0: Um, are there any? So I mean, like I'm relating back to go, like when we hear about turkeys, you hear the word like nesting success a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, is there are there any like major obstacles to denning success quote unquote like is there or you know are there predators for cubs are there like certain dangers for cubs or do most of them make it typically
1: yeah there's some predation that takes place um obviously they're they're right there with the sow and so there's there's not a whole lot um and and again this depends on you know where you are in the country the habitat type uh the density of other bears in the area um you know a male will kill those cubs Mm. to to induce uh that female to go into heat again so that she can be bred and then have his offspring and so what um you know a lot of the the mortalities so you've got you know car in, car impacts and that kind of thing you've got um you know accidents drownings falling you know a lot of bears den in in trees the the one you were talking about was 60 feet up yeah, yeah yeah and so you know you could possibly fall out of a tree there's there's a lot of accident type things that happen Uh, and then, you know, there's, there's some abandoned issues every now and then, but, um, you know, like I said, yeah, it's, it's, there can definitely be different types of mortalities and that's going to vary depending on, you know, that population, the habitat and and just sort of what the situation is. Gotcha.
0: So, So, yeah. So I mean like that 60 foot up in a tree when they get time to get out of the den, is that little cub able to just shimmy down the tree at that point or are they holding on to mama or, or how does that work?
1: Um, you know, I've never actually watched a, a bear come out of a tree like that. A lot of times she will carry them, hmm. uh, even, so we've got, we've got records of, um, sow swimming the Mississippi river with cubs. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, they were, they were on her back and she swam all the way across. So mm-hmm. yeah, she, she takes good care of them, um, yeah. you know, during that time. And so if they're not able to, but, uh, you know, during the den checks, you know, we'll actually hold the cubs and take measurements on them and, the claws are like Velcro. I mean, you have to, you have to peel them off one at a time off of your shirt. You'd be amazed how well, like how strong they are already are <laughs> and, and what kind of like they, they just, whatever you put them on, they just stick. It, it's yeah. incredible. So, I mean, black bears are excellent climbers and they start that really early on. And so it's, it's not quite as daunting of a task as you think it would be like, you know, obviously for one of us, I mean, there's yeah. you know, black bears climb really well.
0: Sure. Yeah, and this is when you're holding them at two to three pounds. Right, yeah. This that's, is before they come out of the den. That's the action I'm trying to get in on, man. I want to get on one of those den checks. Come on. I would
1: love to. Yeah, we love That'd be super to cool. You.
0: Well, I'd say, I mean, I wanted to do the thing last summer, too, but, I mean, that's that's my own fault. It's whose yeah, fault that yeah. is. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, when you're as when you're famous and, I, and, and, and I, important I, as important as yourself, I, you know, it's just hard to schedule stuff.
0: So. I'm important to my dogs and my wife. Other than that, it's all just – That's good enough. That's all we can ever hope for. Um, Habitat. So, in the talking about, I want to be for sure to touch on this because again, I feel like there's me included. Like as far as like what does a black bear need to survive? Um, Mm -hmm. We were talking about how many black bears there were, you know, back before the levee system and the ag fields, and so I mean, what is in in today's Mississippi? Where where what does a black bear need to thrive?
1: Corn feeders. Corn feeders. Okay, <laughs> um, problem solved. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there are plenty to go around, so that's good. That's a fact. Um, no, but typically black bears are omnivores, so they can make use of a lot of different types of uh, food items. So about ninety percent is going to be plant matter. Uh, the other ten percent is could be uh, carrion, so it could be you know, dead carcasses and, and stuff okay. like that. Yeah. Uh, in the in in densely populated areas they have bears a lot around gut pits and deer uh you know piles that kind of thing um but you know typically it's going to be seasonally available some type of vegetation so i've actually seen bears go out and and feed in food plots on you know and and planted actually green stuff that you would see uh, a deer feed on um so it could be mass that becomes available like muscadines persimmons um, you know, different berries, you know, beauty berries and, and um, huckleberries and, and that kind of thing. Can, can uh, I tell you a story? Absolutely.
0: So, uh, I was in Colorado, we were filming a sheep hunt mm-hmm. and, uh, I'd never done a sheep hunt before. It was very, dem- like exhausting hunt, a lot of like, and so and
1: that's get, the only thing that I know about sheep hunting. <laughs> so,
0: I knew it was bad. I was like, I was like, I don't know if it's just bad on me, but then when I looked up and Brad Ferris was struggling, I was like, yeah, this is bad. So we get to the end of day one and like, I just shed my pack. I shed my camera gear and I'm just like laying there and we're just like gathering ourselves before we start hiking back because we still had to hike back down to camp. And I roll over and I look and I'm like, are those wild strawberries? And the guy that we were hunting with says, "Yeah, that's wild strawberries." And I just start gorging myself. I guess from just like you know, hyperphagia, yeah. And so I just start gorging myself on these strawberries. But this couple that was with us, they, they look over and I just hear them laughing. And uh, I'm like, "What are y'all laughing at?" They were like, "Well, those wild strawberries are super good to eat, but we normally don't, don't see anything eat them, but black bears." And I ain't never seen a black bear go as hard at them as you're going at them right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, I was in hyperphagia. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yep.
1: Um, and and so down here, maybe the equivalent of that would be like blackberries. Okay. Know? Yeah. 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 Um, but like I said, any of those seasonally available, you know, berries, and and you know, like I said, even green, yeah. uh, new growth and stuff. Um, here in the south, um, the the logs, you know, when the trees fall. Those logs get rotten really fast, and so you have a lot of grubs and oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And beetles and that kind of thing. Uh, they love to get into those. Um, I was actually sent a video over the summer on a, a property we trapped earlier in the South Delta, of a bear that they had just come up on this bear and they looked at it and they they it was like what is he doing? It looked like it was digging in the ground, and he had dug up and was eating a yellow jacket nest, and those yellow jackets <laughs> were wearing him out, and finally. It was like, okay, I can't stand anymore. And he, like, swatted around and, and kind of ended up running off.
0: But, no way.
1: Yeah, so they'll um, – they, it's pretty wild. Like, you know, obviously beehives, you know, they'll get into the beehives. And sure. Stuff, but even, like, wild – um you know yellow jackets ground nesting insects like that they'll they'll get, in, get after them too
0: that's wild
1: must be some really great tasting stuff to hey, take that kind hey, of punishment there <laughs> ain't
0: no way i yeah. wouldn't even get to the point of being stung once i would just look at it and be like no nah, it's not worth it
1: man i found one weed eating around the house um not long ago and i was like he can have those yellow jackets because <laughs> that is not on my Don't list of things part to do. of it
0: that. yeah. yeah that's wild um Where do you see? And I guess we can kind of round off the conversation at at this point. Um, If if you like, if I were to say, Anthony, if I if I could promise you a world where there's you know there's not going to be any un you know unforeseen obstacles pop up and like just if I if you like draw up your dream scenario for the future of black bears in Mississippi, what what would that be for you with as with the position that you're in now?
1: So I tell people that we're not, you know, moving bears, we're not encouraging, we're not restocking bears, we're simply monitoring the natural increase that they're that's occurring. Mm-hmm. So in a perfect world, we would continue to do that. We would continue to get good solid data and have a good population estimate, and eventually we would get to the point where we could implement a season. Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, they were an important game species then and we hope that they follow that same trajectory that all of these other game animals that we take for granted now follow. Uh, And in conjunction with that, uh, if you had to basically boil the two objectives that I have down, it's gonna be solid research and solid public education and outreach. So at the same time, we're being proactive, engaging as many people as we can about how to live with black bears with as little conflict as possible. And you know, like we said before, those little changes that you can make to to you know forego a potential problem that might happen before it even becomes an issue.
0: Yeah, makes sense. So I mean that that's that's your your goal then the end of it is for these to be a, an established game species in the state.
1: Certainly, that's not the end of it. You know we've right. Had, you know deer <clears throat> have been game species for quite a while now. We still have a deer program. Right. And so, oh, sure. Sure. You know, so Fair t- point. To kind of continue that on, but that you know. Definitely that would be a really good, you know, plant-the-flag-on-the-moon kind of accomplishment Huge here in the milestone. State. Yeah. Huge milestone. Huge uh, milestone. That would be one of the end zone dances that, that we as a, an agency and, I guess, me personally could do, even though I'm, I'm standing on other people's shoulders in this in this role, but, you know, that's definitely one thing that we could say, look at this success story. This is this is a, just another conservation story that we have been able to have that we've taken this species from the brink of you know extinction all the way to, to we have a healthy enough population yeah. to where it's huntable now. Right. Yeah.
0: You know. You know what I want to see, and I, I'm sure you do too. Yeah. I want to be at a sporting goods store, at a deer camp, at a somewhere where other sportsmen are around, and I want to hear somebody. Not on not giving a speech, just in passing in conversation at the dinner table, whatever. I want to hear somebody talking about black bears with the same respect and appreciation for the animal as we talk about these other ones.
1: Yeah. That's what I want to
0: hear. Absolutely. That would be so cool.
1: Yep. And and like I said, that's that's the trajectory that we're on. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I I think definitely within my career. That, that I will have the honor of having a hand in. I mean, that's why we got into this field. That's why we got into wildlife and fisheries to begin with was mm-hmm. whether it's from a consumptive aspect with you know hunting and, and actually participating in that con- uh, conservation or whether it's as a more of a regulatory agency that does the biology side or the, you know, the enforcement side or whatever it is, like that's the big picture stuff. And, you know, to have a, a part in that and like the timing that, that I will be able to contribute to that is just like, it's, it's humbling. It's, mm. it's awesome. And that's yeah. why, that's why I'm so thankful to be in this position because that's, that's where we're headed.
0: Yeah. You know? It's a, we, we live in a very cool time to be a, a hunter, a conservationist and an outdoorsman in this state. Absolutely. I think, um, where can, just to double down on it, you've mentioned some of these already, but. Where can everyone find what you're doing top to bottom?
1: Yeah, so MDWFP.com mm-hmm. is the main agency's website. Um, we plan on doing another bigger and better bear week uh, in the spring, so definitely be looking out for that. Yep, probably going to be sometime end of August, uh, excuse me, uh, end of March, first of uh, April. Okay, um, and then you know, the Mississippi Black Bear photos that's uh, again any, any type of trapping activity that we've done. And then, you know, that'll continue anything that's shared about bear week. It'll go on that group too. And so to keep up with, you know, uh, happenings around the state bears that are collared, people are seeing bears, uh, the research that we're doing, all that stuff is posted on, on that, on that group.
0: Gotcha. Um, and when, when all this goes up, we'll share all those sites and, you know, different platforms on the, uh, on the pages and everything, but yeah. Um, Cool stuff, man. I, I really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Yeah, always a pleasure. We'll
0: have to, Lord willing, we can get together and I can get in on one of these den checks. I, st- I want to do one of the workups too, but the den checks are going to be what's coming up next. I want to get in on one of those.
1: Yeah. Well, so the the den checks actually involve a workup too because we sedate that Sal. Okay. And so it'll it's a lot less about her because we've already you know. Unless we have to adjust a collar or something, we've already got the data. You already know where she's at. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it's mo- it's mostly about the cubs, but it it does involve kind of a workup and working up the the, the cubs as well. So it's uh, gotcha. you'll get a little taste of everything on those.
0: Definitely, cool, man. Well, I I look forward to it. Yeah.
1: Cool. Enjoy having. I uh, enjoyed you having. Enjoyed you having me. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Man, I almost got through the whole thing without messing <laughs> up, but here we are.
0: Oh, guys, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I would thoroughly encourage you um, to look up some of these resources that he's pointed out. Uh, I would encourage you as well. Um, if you haven't, if you want to, I think if someone, like, if, if you want to garner an appreciation and a, and a better understanding for mm-hmm. bears that you didn't know you could have uh go listen to those podcasts that clay did on hulk collier Um, go listen to the ones he did on the mississippi river uh keep up with the work that anthony's doing and as always if you have any questions feel free to reach out you can hit up the primo's page or my personal page and uh yeah we're gonna get out of here as always thank you for listening to the speak the language podcast